are circumcised according to the custom of Moses, you cannot be saved. And when Paul and Barnabas had great dissension and debate with them, the brethren determined that Paul and Barnabas and some others of them should go up to Jerusalem to the apostles and elders concerning this issue. So they're they're in Antioch. Them, Paul and Barnabas, are in Antioch. And it's, don't be confused when it says that they came down from Judea, even though Antioch is north of Judea, it was, Jerusalem's on a high place. So these people, these men came and they're, they're in Antioch and they're teaching the brethren. And the bottom line of their teaching was, unless you're circumcised according to the custom of Moses, you cannot be saved. Well, it's interesting because they're, they're at a church. God had raised up a church there. So there was great dissension, Paul and Barnabas, and debate. And the brethren determined that Paul and Barnabas and some others of them should go up to Jerusalem to the apostles and elders concerning this issue. So it's an issue, interestingly enough, that is not going to be resolved there with these men as well as Paul and Barnabas. They're going to go back to Jerusalem and it will be resolved there. And it's an important issue. You know, there's a a strong... A Jewish presence in the church. And the question is, how are the Gentiles going to be allowed into the church? The sign of circumcision goes back before Moses. That's with Abraham back in Genesis 17. So that's what is highlighted here among these men. Therefore, verse 3, being sent on their way by the church, they were passing through both Phoenicia and Samaria, describing in detail the conversion of the Gentiles, and were bringing great joy to all the brethren. So you have a contrast between Paul and Barnabas and what God was doing among the Gentiles and these brethren that came down from Jerusalem or Judea uh, who are bothered by what is taking place among the Gentiles. Keep in mind that Paul has been very careful uh, to substantiate God's work among the Gentiles and to communicate that to the Jews. But that's evidently not enough at this point. But there's great joy to all the brethren as they pass through. He's talking about God's work among the Gentiles. God is converting the Gentiles. When they arrived at Jerusalem, by the way, I read where this is 250 miles 
Does that even that sounds too much to me, but that's what I read. I'm just throwing it out there. Usually someone will fact check the distances that I throw out. They can waver. We do the best we can. Any travel back then was, would seem to be extensive. When they arrived at Jerusalem, they were received by the church and the apostles and the elders, and they reported all that God had done with them. So Paul and Barnabas are not backing down from God's work among the Gentiles. They're not, they're not trying to um, just placate the Jews. They are just telling them what God had done. God had done a work. God was doing some wonderful things through the preaching of the gospel among the Gentiles. A significant work. But some of the sect of the Pharisees who had believed stood up saying, it is necessary to circumcise them and to direct them to observe the law of Moses. So now it's not just circumcision. That would have been a big enough deal. But it's to observe the law of Moses. And it's interesting that that Luke names this group. It's a sect of those who were part of the church there in Jerusalem. And their, their background is Phariseeism. So just think about that. The Pharisees who had believed stood up. This is their axe to grind. This is their agenda. They're causing a fuss. And they're saying it is necessary. This is something that should be mandated for all the Gentiles. That they should, uh, that the Christians should be circumcised, the men circumcised, and obey the law of Moses. This should be written down. This should be forevermore. That's what their belief is. The apostles and the elders came together to look into the matter. And after there had been much debate, Peter stood up. So we've got three people, really four, but three different conversations. Peter's the first. He's going to stand up. And the Bible says, Peter stood up and said to them, Brethren, you know that in the early days God made a choice among you that by my mouth the Gentiles would hear the word of the gospel and believe. Now he's for sure thinking about the house of Cornelius. He's not through though. Verse 8, And God who knows the heart testified to them, giving them the Holy Spirit, just as he also did to us. That's significant that he says that God who knows the heart testified to, to them, giving them the Holy Spirit. Because that's salvation. God imparting his spirit to someone, and we know by faith, the person has faith, the person believes, God gives the Holy Spirit. 
Peter says this is what happened to us, just as he also did to us. And he made no distinction between us and them, cleansing their hearts by faith. That is really important there, that God grants the Holy Spirit to those who are saved and that he cleanses their hearts by faith. So the Lord, once the Holy Spirit is imparted by the Lord, you're adopted into his family. If you go back and read the whole uh, episode with Cornelius and with Peter's sermon, Peter's not even finished with his sermon and God imparts the Holy Spirit to that group. So they have faith The Holy Spirit is imparted. We know from Paul's writings that the Holy Spirit seals the believer. Uh, This is important to remember, and this is something that Peter makes reference to right here in verse 8. The bottom line, he cleanses their hearts by faith. He made no distinction between us and them meaning between the Jews and the Gentiles, cleansing their hearts by faith. This is what God does. This is salvation. Now, therefore, he says, why do you, why do you put God to the test? By placing on the neck of the disciples a yoke, which neither our fathers nor we have been able to bear. The yoke here is the law. I mean, Peter's basically saying, <laughs> you, you actually want the Gentiles to keep the law when you have not been able to keep the law. And in that, he is saying grace is much better than law. So that's a wonderful question to ask those folks. He says in verse 11, this is so beautiful, this statement. But we believe that we are saved through the grace of the Lord Jesus in the same way as they also are. It's by grace through faith. It's not of yourselves. I mean, if, if you want to know more on the whole issue of keeping the law of Moses, read Paul's letter to the Galatians. I mean, he is, he's just, uh, that letter is really strong on grace and what God accomplishes through grace in the heart of the believer. Um, And that he accomplishes much more than the law ever could accomplish in in someone who professed God. The law is a teacher. The law shows us that we're unable to measure up. Well, that's a beautiful statement there in verse 11. It may not be your life verse, but it's, it's a good verse. But we believe 
This is Peter speaking, that we are saved through the grace of the Lord Jesus in the same way as they also are. All the people kept silent. You would think that in a church conference. And they were listening to Barnabas and Paul as they were relating what signs and wonders God had done through them among the Gentiles. So that's, that's Peter's position. After they had stopped speaking, this is verse 13, James answered. Now, James is the, uh, he's a half-brother of the Lord, the brother of the Lord, James. They say he was uh, martyred by being thrown off the temple, the top of the temple. Um, James is an apostle, and he's there in Jerusalem. So we're going to hear from James. I wonder what James is going to say. James has been holding down the fort in Jerusalem while Peter's been out preaching. So after they had stopped speaking, James answered, saying, Brethren, listen to me. Simeon. Interesting, this word here for, I believe, for Peter. Simeon has related how God first concerned himself about taking from among the Gentiles a people for his name. So this was in the plan of God. This is not something that snuck up on anybody. God had intended to take from among the Gentiles a people for his name. With this, the words of the prophets agree just as it is written. So James sandwiches together uh, prophecies from different Old Testament prophets. I mean, there, if you look at, in my Bible, I can look at the reference where this comes from in the Old Testament, verses 16, 17, 18. I mean, just looking through this, you have Amos, Jeremiah, we have Deuteronomy, Isaiah, we have Daniel, we have another Jeremiah. So these are prophecies that James is going to put forth here. He says, with this, the words of the prophets agree. With what? Well, they agree with the fact that God wanted to take from among the Gentiles a people for his name. Just as it is written, after these things I will return and I will rebuild the tabernacle of David which has fallen and I will rebuild its ruins and I will restore it so that the rest of mankind may seek the Lord. There it is. So the rest of mankind may seek the Lord. And all the Gentiles who are called by my name, says the Lord, who makes these things known from long ago. So basically, James is saying, he's quoting the prophets from long ago and saying, what we saw with the, that God did with the house of Cornelius, 
is something God had prophesied long ago that he would raise up a people from among the Gentiles, that he would save them. This is nothing new. And then James gives us the bottom line. He says, therefore, it is my judgment that we do not trouble those who are turning to God from among the Gentiles. Don't hinder them. Don't uh, impede them at all. Don't trouble them. Those who are turning to God from among the Gentiles, but that we write to them that they abstain from things contaminated by idols and from fornication and from what is strangled and from blood. All four of those things were extremely important to the Jews. And um, James is saying, uh, while the Gentiles do not have to jump through any uh, hoops uh, to be Christian and to be part of the church, that nevertheless, they should be sensitive to these things uh, with regard to their relationships with the Jews. He says, for Moses from ancient generation has in every city those who preach him since he is read in the synagogues every Sabbath. Then it seemed good to the apostles and the elders with the whole church. So everybody is on board. The apostles and the elders with the whole church to choose men from among them to send to Antioch with Paul and Barnabas, Judas called Barsabbas and Silas, leading men among the brethren. And they sent this letter by them. So they wrote a letter. It was so important they wrote these things down. Now it says the whole church. I, 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 I'm wondering what happened to that sect of the Pharisees that brought this up. I don't know. I don't know if they got on board with this, but he says along with the whole church. So I think possibly they're included there. So they sent this letter by them. The apostles and the brethren who are elders to the brethren in Antioch and Syria and Cilicia who are from the Gentiles. Greetings. Since we have heard that some of our number to whom we gave no instruction have disturbed you with their words unsettling your souls. It seemed good to us, having become of one mind, to select men to send to you with our beloved Barnabas and Paul, men who have risked their lives for the name of our Lord Jesus Christ. Therefore, we have sent Judas and Silas, who themselves will also report the same things by word of mouth. For it seemed good to the Holy Spirit and to us to lay upon you no greater burden than these essentials, that you abstain from things sacrificed to idols and from blood and from things strangled and from fornication. If you keep yourselves free from such things, you will do well. Farewell. So when they were sent away, they went down to Antioch and having gathered the congregation together, they delivered the letter. When they had read it, 
They rejoiced because of its encouragement. There's no other burden. There's no law of Moses in front of them. But it is, and it's a recognition that salvation is by grace through faith. That it is not of a human work, a human ceremony, or human invention. But it is strictly by the grace of Almighty God. It is by faith and then the impartation of the Holy Spirit into that life. Whereby the believer is sealed and adopted into the family of God. That's what salvation is. By grace through faith. That not of yourselves. It is the gift of God. Verse 32, Judas and Silas, also being prophets themselves, encouraged and strengthened the brethren with a lengthy message. What's new? After they had spent time there, they were sent away from the brethren in peace to those who had sent them out. But it seemed good to Silas to remain there. But Paul and Barnabas stayed in Antioch, teaching and preaching with many others also the word of the Lord. It's so wonderful that this Acts chapter 15 is right here in the middle of the book to remind us that salvation is by grace through faith. Man, I don't understand this, but man, even religious man wants to add to what God says is true. We want to add something to it. Like you got to do something. You got to do something else. I mean, that's what the cults are about. They're always, they're always works oriented. Yeah, you'll be in good stead if you quit smoking. If you smoke, I mean, if you don't smoke, you don't need to quit. Right, Linda? Is that right? I mean, but they're always finding something for you to do. And it's by grace, through faith. It is not of yourselves. But, but man, religious man, likes to attach things to it. Even baptism, water baptism, got to be baptized to be saved. No, water does not regenerate the soul. It just doesn't. And this is consistent. Let's go back. I was reading this a little earlier today. It is refreshing. Uh, John the Baptist over here in Luke chapter 3. This is exactly what he prophesied. The consistency here is just... It's just wonderful. So the people are wondering who John is, John the Baptist, that is. We'll begin reading in verse 15, and we'll read two or three, four verses here. Now, while the people were in a state of expectation, this is uh, Luke 3, verse 15. Now, while the people were in a state of expectation, and all were wondering in their hearts about John as to whether he was the Christ... John answered and said to them, all, he says, as for me, I baptize you with water. (laughs) But one is coming who is mightier than I, and I am not fit to untie the thong of his sandals. He will baptize you with the Holy Spirit and fire. Now, some people think that's one baptism and some people think that's two. 
The people that think it's two think it's initial salvation is the Holy Spirit and then fire is the baptism of judgment at the end. And the reason they think that is because of verse 17. When John says his winnowing fork is in his hand, thoroughly clear his threshing floor and to gather the wheat into his barn, but he will burn up the chaff with unquenchable fire. The point is John prophesied that this would be the mark of salvation, that it would be God's gift. He, based on faith in Jesus Christ, his earthly ministry, his death, burial, resurrection, ascension to the right hand of the Father, based on faith in him, trust in him, that he would impart the Holy Spirit. And John testifies of that. It's so beautiful, it's right there. It is truly, salvation that is, a gift from God. This is wonderful. So I uh, wanted to encourage you with that uh, tonight to uh, just rejoice in the salvation that God has given you. What a, what a wonderful, what a wonderful gift. Well, as we uh, conclude tonight, I wonder what's on your heart. Do we have uh, prayer requests? Do we have promises from the Lord? Maybe a verse of scripture that's 